to Tyler. Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 180. This week, we talk with Ziad Rajabi about blockchain and what Microsoft is doing in this area. How to stop me harvesting credit card numbers and passwords from your site. And 10 software predictions for 2018. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. This week, we're talking to Ziad Rajabi, a PM on the blockchain team in Azure. How's it going? Good. How are you guys doing? Very good, very good. So, uh, real quick, couple of uh, couple of happenings, uh, Carl. <laughs> so one was that I lost my AirPods, and a whole bunch of people said uh, basically varying versions of uh, "I told you so," <laughs> which is funny. Yeah, but yeah, but I I think the key thing with AirPods though is when you lost them, kind of how that affected you and what it indicates about the technology <laughs> itself. First world problems for sure. Well, so, and, and I, I just want to make it clear, like, you know, people are like, oh, see, you know, if only you had a wire. Um, and I know that was a little bit joking, but the, the thing is, this is like losing like your entire set of headphones with the wire and everything. That's equivalent to what I lost. I, what I've said in the past is I think it's, I think it's pretty difficult to lose just one of the little AirPods because they have a case to store them in, uh, which is kind of the point that I made. But somehow that entire thing fell out of my pocket and there is the find your AirPods feature. So I can see on a map where they fell out of my pocket, uh, which is <laughs> where um, I ended up getting a shuttle. And uh, of course they haven't showed up. I did do something really smart though. Um, I put my, I actually uh, printed out a label with my phone number on the AirPods. Uh, but whoever found them decided to keep them instead of, <laughs> instead of calling me. So I had to go, I did have to go buy new AirPods. Like there's no way that I could live without them. <laughs> I had to use the the wired ones for a while, which was a huge hassle. I mean, those things get like so tangled and it felt it felt so backwards to use those, and I felt I just feel kind of silly whenever I have these wires coming off my head. I know, like I have it now, but like walking around with wires just feels so antiquated now, in comparison. So anyway, I bought new ones, so the the Apple machine got more of my money, and their profits go up. Um, and then on the good news, bad news side, um, another quick update for you. Um. I ran into this horrible TypeScript issue that I've been battling. I've been writing, I wrote a whole bunch of TypeScript over the weekend um, on a big project that I'll probably talk about in a, a different episode uh, because it's pretty cool architecture. But uh, I ran into this uh, this issue with promises in TypeScript and, and I'm not a TypeScript expert and I'm definitely not a promise expert. So I thought that I was to blame and I kept searching and talking to different people and I fi- finally narrowed it down to some really weird behavior. And I just, uh, right before the show, I had the TypeScript team um, actually look at it and they said, hey, thank you. You are now reproing a bug that we haven't been able to nail down. People have been complaining about it, but they didn't, they weren't able to repro it, whereas I was able to to show it consistently. Um, I thought it was, I actually didn't think that it was a TypeScript issue. I thought it was, uh, I thought I just was doing something wrong. Uh, but I'll have a link to that bug in the show notes if anybody actually wants to to take a look at it. But the good news is they're going to fix it now. And uh, yeah, it's great because, you know, TypeScript has this async await support. And uh, it's one of the greatest features, you know, if you've ever used that in, uh, in C Sharp. And uh, so now that that's in TypeScript and it is a joy to use um, unless you're running into this particular bug. Uh, so Carl, should we jump into the news? Absolutely. Okay. So we just did, this will be a super short news segment, which is good. Cause I want to talk about blockchain. Uh, so the first story we have here, part two, how to stop me harvesting credit card numbers and passwords from your site. Yeah. So a couple episodes, we talked about part one of this, where he talks about how, uh, somebody could maliciously, uh, uh, do exactly what the title says um, through open source and code and, you know, how the, all those mechanisms work. And kind of part two is how to stop that. And uh, 
you know, I think me and you, we, we discussed this in person mm-hmm. a little bit and we were a little disappointed because the short version is use an iframe. Right. And, and nobody likes using iframes anymore. Well, I, you know, I don't know. Like it, it's one of those things where it's, it seems like it's uh, like not allowed for whatever reason. Like I, I think all the browsers still support iframes, but I want to say it's like one of those things. It's kind of like using uh um, you know, like HTML, uh, tables for, for layout, you know, like that's, that's like super a uh, thing that's like super evil and that I understand why, but this, this sort of seems like the same thing. Like I thought like iframes were, were evil for some reason, but I could be wrong. I don't know if they're, if it's cool to still use them for this kind of thing. It seems like a good fix though. Yeah. So there is a way to stop this mm-hmm. is whenever you are collecting sensitive information, uh, put in an iframe and the files that you're using to, you know, load up that third party content, have them on a different do- domain on a static file server. Exactly. Exactly. So that's good. Uh, glad we had follow up there. Uh, 10 software development predictions for 2018. And I see that blockchain is one of these. Yeah, it's number one. So uh, it says, you know, one of the predictions for the year is uh, business-to-business transactions leveraging blockchain are, will go into production this year. So, uh, you know, I don't think we should get too into that because we're going to have that discussion. But some of these other ones, you know, I, you know, I think that some of these predictions are are pretty likely for this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is chatbots uh, have real conversations with customers and employees. So yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> it's one of those things. It's uh, like self-driving cars where they're just like, Oh, totally. It's just, it's all done. Ship it. It's ready yeah. to go. So, so, you know, I think that one's going to happen more and more, but I don't think we're going to like that one. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's just, it's a spectrum, right? Like, I don't think these mm-hmm. bots are just going to be magically solve all of our problems. It's just like whenever I call in and they're like, press one for, you know, whatever, press two for this other thing. And I'm like, you know, if I, if I had, if I had one of those issues, I just would have gone to your website. Like I have, <laughs> I have issue X, which is definitely not covered by your phone prompts. So I guess we'll see. I, because my understanding, I guess, I guess bots on these sites are handling like a bulk of, uh, of requests, which is pretty cool. So what yeah, else the, ne- the next ahead. one says the button disappears. AI becomes the app interface. Mm-hmm. And I, I think where this one is, you know, where you hear people talk about like ambient computing, you know, a lot of us have the digital assistant devices either in our homes already or on our phones. And I find that I'm slowly using that more and more often, mm-hmm. just, you know, asking things into the ether and the responses come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a huge one. What else we got here? I love this. I, I love this one. DevOps moves toward no ops. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that, you know, our industry kind of like embraced DevOps in an overkill kind of way where we have DevOps teams. And when you look at kind of like, at least from my opinion, what DevOps is, is like, if you have a DevOps team, you're kind of doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you know, in the, in the old days, we just had as developers code that we threw over the wall and had somebody else just, you know, manage and host for us. And the idea was DevOps is, Hey, we're going to get these people on the same team. So that's a nice smooth transition. But, uh, you know, with this is saying like, we're going to get to the point where the code just, de- you know, deploys itself and there's really no people in there and everything happens along the way. I love how, like, you know, let's, let's give developers more responsibility and then they will just figure out a way to just like eliminate the need for that more responsibility is basically the takeaway here. I can't argue with that. <laughs> so I once replaced, got? I once replaced, uh, uh, an entire, uh, workload that I was doing with seven regexes <laughs> story for another time. Yeah. Yeah. What else we got? Pick one or two here. Uh, serverless architectures go big in production. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've seen a lot more serverless style, um, you know, cloud services and, you know, I have a feeling that this is just going to pick up as 2018 moves along. Yeah, no, I think, I think this is a huge one. I think it's really interesting too, with the, the interaction between this and like Docker containers and, and like to see kind of which direction things go. I think we'll see things go both directions, obviously, but, um, yeah, this one I can't quite wrap my head around now, knowing kind of the power of Docker. And even even in this list, I mean, they talked about the no ops and Docker being a key driver for that. And then they mention uh, serverless. But you can have, yeah, well, there's a whole conversation about what serverless is, which is a whole <laughs> tweet chain that we'll have to talk about some other time. Uh, but, you know, it was uh, that was interesting. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention on here? Well, you brought up containers. The next one is the only question about containers becomes why not? Yeah. And I know that, uh, you know, I've really uh, enjoyed containers the more and more that I'm using them. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, recently for a project at work, I had to 
do some stuff with uh, virtual machines again. And I'm just like, what the heck kind of hell were we putting ourselves through all these years? Yeah, it's funny. It used to be like order a server, get it in three weeks. And then it's like, oh, look, I can get it in 10 minutes now with virtual machines. And now we're just like 10 minutes. I want it in seconds. So, yeah, I'm I'm on my last site right now. The one I was talking about earlier is the uh, – I believe it's the last one that I haven't Dockerized and uh, and and published out on Docker. So uh, I am almost 100% bought into uh, to Docker. Okay, cool. So let's talk about blockchain with Z here. Um, so I guess where we need to start because I think there's there's probably – I suspect that just about everybody has heard of blockchain, but I think we should sort of just lay this base foundation. So um, I figure we talk about some of the practical aspects first, and then I thought we'd dive into some of the technical pieces. So from a practical perspective, you know, what is blockchain? Yeah. So blockchain, as you guys mentioned in that article, is definitely one of those technologies I would say is at the top of the hype cycle. So Gartner has this thing where they have this curve that they sort of map different technologies to. And I'll be the first one to say, I've been on blockchain now for uh, a year and a half, and it's definitely at the top of that hype curve. It's the only technology I've ever been on uh, where you have a line at your door of customers begging to come talk to you. Usually it's the other way around. Usually you build something really cool and you get out of your door and you say, hey, guys, take a look at this really cool thing I built. And people are like, yeah, I don't care. And they just walk <laughs> away. This is totally different. This is where people are sort of, they see this as this magic technology. And I guess if you go look at all the different videos, I don't know if you guys ever have done that kind of, uh, the, that little practice, uh, that exercise. But you go and you check out all the different videos and the articles out there. And you'll swear that this technology is going to solve world hunger. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of articles out there that just talk about sort of what this technology can do. That's contributing to the hype. Um but in reality, when you look at the technology, it's not a magic hammer that can fix everything, but rather can do very specific things very, very well. The easiest way to describe blockchain is in today's world, or even the world that we've existed for many, many years, if you don't trust somebody and you want to make a transaction with that person, we usually involve some kind of third party that's a neutral party, right? So if I'm going to transfer money from my account to your account, you know, we go through banks and there's some third party that goes and validates you, validates me, validates all our accounts. And that whole validation, that third middleman takes time and takes money to actually go process this, these things. And this is not just specific to financial. It happens in a lot of different scenarios across the board, um, across every single industry. And so what happens is back in 2008, no one knows exactly who <laughs> created this, but a paper was written. Uh, that basically describe blockchain. And what it is, is it put together a bunch of different technologies that have ex- existed in a unique way um, that really was meant to basically get rid of those middlemen. Mm-hmm. So what it does at the very least, uh, it has several different components to it. The first component is it has a database that everybody has, a- that everyone has a copy of. So let's say the three of us are on a blockchain. We all have the exact same copy of that database. And the database is special it's a ledger, which means you cannot change the past. You can only append new stuff to it. So it's this immutable database that everyone has access to. Um, and if you look at the sort of implementation of blockchain, um, Bitcoin is the first implementation. And Bitcoin, I don't know what the value is of today since the market went down it's like crazy. It's different than it was yesterday. And it's <laughs> different tomorrow by a lot. <laughs> well, let's say it's over $100 billion or whatever it may be. Yeah. Let's say it's $100 billion. That is a huge amount of money that if you're a hacker, you would love to go and take that money and point that money back to you. And so the the fact that that database is sort of copied for everybody part of the network makes it very difficult, if not impossible, to sort of hack. Because in order to hack that history, you have to have a hack that goes across the entire network since everyone is syncing at the same time. Uh, that can hack at least 50, 51% of the computers out there that mm-hmm. are connected to the blockchain. So that's one piece of it. The second piece that makes it very interesting is it has uh, really interesting cryptography and mathematical properties that account for how transactions get trusted onto the network. If you eliminate that third party, you need to have some kind of algorithm or some kind of way that basically builds that trust. Um, and so depending on what blockchain you're talking about, there's different types of algorithms out there, but essentially what they're doing is they're driving towards this sort of consensus across the network 
that will dictate whether or not a transaction is is trustworthy and should be pushed to to the network itself. And so those two, I would say, uh, high-level properties make the blockchain very secure with respect to the transactions that have been in the past and secure with respect to transactions being pushed to the future. Mm-hmm. So, from the future. Yeah, so there's there's three of us on the podcast. So this is, the, I, mean, I didn't plan this exercise, but so this might be, this might turn out terrible, but let's just pretend like we had MS Dev Show coin <laughs> and, you know, we each had 10 of them and, you know, it was on this, it was on this ledger. So the ledger says that each of us have 10 coin. And if I wanted to pay Carl, you know, five coin, then basically two of the three of us would have to agree on that and add it to the, or our, our, we would two out of, at least two out of three of us would add it to our copy of the ledger. Is that how that works? No. So the way it works okay. is, let's say when you when you create a transaction, it doesn't have to be related to coins, by the way, but when you create a transaction, it gets broadcast to the network. Mm-hmm. Each blockchain has a different type of consensus algorithm. So the most famous one that everyone is aware of through Bitcoin and Ethereum is proof of work. I don't know if you've heard of that term or miners is another term that okay. people come up with. Um, so essentially how that works is imagine there's a very complicated mathematical problem we all have to solve. And the only way to solve that problem is you have to crunch numbers randomly. And by design, the complexity of it takes about 10 to 15 minutes or, uh, with the latest hardware to solve that problem. So essentially what that algorithm is trying to do is it's trying to randomize who is going to confirm or validate that transaction. So all the miners, all the people who are willing to sort of spend their energy to solve that problem will seek, will continue to crunch numbers until somebody solves it. The first person that solves it raises their hand and says, hey, I solved the, I solved the math equation. Uh, take a look. We all look at it. It's really quick to validate. We validate and say, yeah, you did solve it. And that's how the records get pushed to the blockchain as sort of uh, as, a, as, a, as a record of truth. Mm-hmm. And the person who solved it gets an award uh, and they get some Bitcoin in the case of Bitcoin, uh, which is why there's a lot of incentive for those miners to, to solve those mathematical problems. Yeah. It's interesting too. You mentioned like, you know, 51% of, of the like public agreeing. So does that mean if, if you, if you could control, you know, 51% of a blockchain that, that you would, you would control it? I mean, is that, is that kind of the reality? Well, it depends on the algorithms that you use and depends okay. on the type of blockchain, but, um, and it depends on how you do it. But yeah, in a proof of work kind of uh, system, if you control a lot of the computation, you can dictate what transactions get pushed and you can falsify information yeah. that way. Hmm. And you can result in uh, in, in sort of a, a one way to hack the system, if you will. Interesting. I'm going to start a Bitcoin union and basically I'm going to gather up 51% <laughs> of the people out there. And, and then I'm going to keep doing that. It's like a binary search. Half the people will get all of the money and... Until it's, just, until it's just me. <laughs> you just make a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, just make yeah, a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Oh, when you, you put, it that, when you put rates, it that way, yeah. it sounds bad. <laughs> um, so what, yeah, go ahead, what go. other kinds of con- ways of uh, generating consensus are there other than the proof of work? Yeah, so proof of work is the first one. Uh, there's a proof of stake. Basically, proof of stake is the more uh, value you have off the blockchain, the more voting power you have, let's say that way. Uh, there's a proof of authority, which is basically, you can think of it as like um, you authorize different computers or different people sort of authority. And they can they can sort of think of that as like the best way to describe that is when we vote. Uh, we like when you're voting, we don't vote directly, right? We vote through some proxy uh, that we that we uh, that we elected and they do the um, they vote on different kinds of different things through Congress or or uh, if you're in a different country and in, in, in like in the parliament or different ways to do that. Um, that's kind of that algorithm. There's other algorithms out there, which is sort of like um, it's an election process where you can elect somebody uh, or a group of people to do sort of the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, the consensus algorithm in that way. So there's just different ways. Each one have their pros and cons and each one have certain uh, give and takes with respect to performance. Okay. Is there any other terminology we should know? Because I know you mentioned like consensus and we mentioned ledger earlier. I've also heard of this thing called a wallet. Yeah. So wallet is, so, okay. When you look at blockchain out there, it kind of falls into two camps. There's the technology of the blockchain, which we at Microsoft are focusing on. 
And then there is the application. One app, one sort of application of it is the cryptocurrency aspect. Oh, okay. So, so like, the wallet it, specifically is for cryptocurrency. Correct. Okay. That's so good. it's okay. essentially keeping track of your currency related to the blockchain. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. So you you wouldn't use a wallet for pure blockchain. You you'd use maybe that concept. Depends on what you're trying to do with okay. blockchain, um, but yeah, for the for a lot of cases, you don't need the wallet. Uh, okay. It just really depends on what you're trying to do. Oh, that's good to know. Any other terminology that we should know? <laughs> uh, let's see. So you have consensus, ledger, yeah. um, proof of authority, miners. I think, yeah. the, and the transaction nodes and mining okay. nodes are two different things. So uh, the other thing to think about is sort of when transactions are going through the system. Um, in a proof-of-work kind of environment or uh, blockchain, you have sort of two different types of nodes connected to the network. You have those that are sort of pushing out transactions and sort of processing them. Um, and then you have, the, you have basically the miners. Miners are the ones that are, are going through the consensus algorithms and trying to figure out sort of what's right and what's wrong. Okay. okay. So you're obviously part of a team at Microsoft that is doing something with blockchain you know what exactly is microsoft trying uh in this space yeah so when you look at the technology itself i think where people get most excited about is the technology has the potential of limiting those middlemen uh and when you look at all the different industries out there if it's financial if it's manufacturing supply chain uh healthcare there's always some middleman along with some process um or in the case of let's say for a supply chain you would want to have a middleman to 100% guarantee certain aspects, but we don't employ a middleman because the cost of goods would be too high. Let's say, for example, I wanted to say uh, my product is 100% organic and it goes through multiple suppliers along the way. There's no real way for me to guarantee that without just me saying it um, because I don't have any visibility or transparency across participants that are, uh, that are, that are doing stuff on that supply chain. Um, so, Blockchain becomes this technology where you can sort of provide that backbone across all the participants. You're crossing those trust boundaries that can keep track of information that you just couldn't have in the past. So for Microsoft, the way we're thinking about this technology is it's a disruptive technology that could potentially change the way that industries think about their current process. And when you look at the technology out there, our strategy has always been around how do we enable customers to sort of leverage that technology to build their end-to-end production solutions? How do we get them to sort of build on top of the tech? That's kind of our strategy of how we're pushing towards that. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of good uses there. And I've heard of, you know, like in manufacturing, like you mentioned, sort of that uh, that audit, you know, if you have to do like a recall or something, or like you mentioned, uh, suppliers. Um, so like in your mind, like what are some of the, what are some of like the most promising uses of, of blockchain? Yeah. So my favorite ones are in this, I, I really like the supply chain scenarios mainly mm-hmm. because, uh, there's a lot of gaps there today, especially when you're talking about transparency and a lot of those players right now in that space have to deal with reconciliation, uh, as a big issue where, you know, something goes wrong. There's something where there's discrepancies between one partner and another partner and, no one has that state of truth to figure out sort of, you know, who's right and who's wrong. And so this reconciliation issue is just a big deal uh, that spans across the industry. Uh, so I like it from that perspective. Financial is a huge industry that is further ahead than other industries with respect to blockchain, mainly because when Bitcoin came out, they were the first ones to sort of look at that technology and say, oh, is this technology going to disrupt us in some way? Mm-hmm. And so they're playing a very defensive slash aggressive role in trying to figure out how blockchain could be applicable in their industry. Okay. So I'm I'm just sitting here trying to wrap my head around, you know, like potential use cases. And, and to me, like a few keywords keep popping up, you know, there's the concept of a ledger and auditing and, and stuff like this. So it seems like any time where you have those kinds of terminology in, in, in your jargon and in your, in, in your workflows that this might be applicable to your industry then. Could, is that fair? Yeah. The easiest way to think about this is do you have a particular process today or do you want to have a process tomorrow that crosses some kind of trust boundary? If the answer is no, don't use blockchain, Mm. right? I have a lot of customers come to us and say, hey, we heard this technology blockchain, we want to go use it. And 
it sounds awesome and we want to use it for some internal process. And then I, right. the first question I ask is, do you trust your internal company? And they say, yeah, of course we do. And I'm like, just go use the database. Yeah. Um, the technology in blockchain is still very nascent. There are still things that you think would be easy to go do are very difficult to go do. Like for example, in a database, there's no questions asked about, can I connect Excel, for example, to go and visualize information in my database. It's really easy. You don't even need to have a developer go do it for you. Mm -hmm. In blockchain world, good luck. You need to have, there's a lot of steps just to go do something as simple as just understanding what data is in the blockchain mm. um, or running machine learning off of it or and doing some kind of visualization. There's just a lot of gaps there. So the way that we see it in Microsoft is there are a ton of different gaps that make blockchain not exactly ready for enterprise grade solutions at this time. So we see it as an opportunity for us to develop a platform where we can address those gaps and allow customers to build those end-to-end -end sort of applications much, much easier and faster. Okay. Are there any scenarios that like that you guys showcase that that are sort of already uh, implementations that you like to talk about, or is is most of this, um, you know, around the corner type of stuff? Yeah. So there's a couple of things that we've done internally. So I'll, I'll mention a couple of uh, really cool use cases that we've done internally, as well as things we're exploring with customers outside. So okay. the first one is. Uh, we're very lucky in Microsoft. Our treasury department here has basically, uh, it's one of the largest corporate treasuries out there. We deal with something like $300 billion of cash a year across two to 3,000 accounts across 190 countries. So when we were working on blockchain, we said, hey, you know what? Let's go partner with uh, Microsoft Treasury to see if there's any kind of cool scenarios. We identified several. And the first scenario we went to go tackle with blockchain was a, a trade finance scenario. Um, in particular, it's a letter of credit, a uh, standby letter of credit. So let me just explain what that scenario is. So let's say, for example, I'm a company out of Africa that wants to buy $100 million worth of goods from Microsoft. They come to us and say, hey, I want to buy $100 million worth of, of licenses for 365 and Azure. Mm -hmm. We're great. We're happy about that, but we have no idea who you are. We don't know if you're actually good for that credit. So they'll go to their bank, let's say, uh, I don't know, uh, Bank of Nigeria or something like that, and they'll say to the bank, hey, can you issue me a letter of credit? Basically, think of that letter of credit as like a voucher uh, for their credit. They'll send that letter of credit back to us. We'll send it to our bank, let's say Bank of America in this case, and Bank of America will give us a thumbs up, thumbs down on that scenario. That whole dance by the way, of those just four participants takes weeks, if not months. It's not unique to Microsoft. It happens in a lot of corporations out there. It's super manual, a lot of paperwork along the way. Uh, and so, and it's very error prone. And so what we said is, hey, let's take blockchain as a way to, number one, increase the transparency for all the participants, speed up the transactions significantly, reduce any errors associated with this process, uh, and, and streamline it. And then potentially, if you have an increased network here, you sort of develop this this much better information with respect to know your customer. So mm -hmm. KYC. Um, and so we went to go tackle that. We actually worked with Bank of America and PwC and Microsoft Treasury to go and develop a POC around that space. So that's one example. Mm -hmm. uh, another example I'll give you is in a supply chain uh, scenario. So this one is, I can't give you the name of the customer yet, but uh, we're working with a customer on a particular supply chain scenario. There's there's several different supply chain scenarios we're working out there. One is basically asset tracking. So being able to track assets from point A to point Z um, and integration of IoT with respect to that asset, if that asset is a perishable good. So for example, let's say I'm transporting milk or, or uh, ice cream, mm -hmm. and that transportation involves going through boats or some other transportation, and you want to make sure that the goods don't pass some threshold of temperature, because uh, if they do, then you can get customers who are sick. And we've heard customers say, you know, uh, they're transporting goods in their truck, and the refrigeration system goes down for part of the way. And when they check the temperature, it's from the beginning to the end, and, and they don't realize in the middle the temperature went down to some some uh, some threshold that broke the system. Um, and so in any case, there are, there's customers out there leveraging IoT in this case and the ability to use blockchain as a way to track the goods and have full transparency in the supply chain when goods are no longer good. 
so you can have in real time adjustments to the inventory. Uh, another scenario that we're working with is with Maersk. Maersk is, as we all know, is a huge shipping company, mm-hmm. and they're shipping goods. Their whole purpose is to ship goods from port A to port B. And in some cases, uh, what they're doing is their captains are sometimes taking shortcuts or avoiding weather patterns or something, uh, and they have to cross waters that are no longer good waters, right? There's pirates, let's say, for example, in, in, or war zones in, mm-hmm. in, different, in different places. And what they wanted to do is develop a almost real-time uh, tracking of the goods as well as a real-time uh, adjustment on the insurance rates. So their consortium for the blockchain is essentially them as well as a bunch of different insurance companies and in real time are able to adjust the insurance rates related to the goods and the boat depending on where the boat is. Those are just a few examples. I could give you examples across all the different industries. That but, sounds really interesting. It's like driving my uh, car and like when, every time I hit the gas, like my rates go up. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. This, yeah. this guy's not a good driver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Increase those guys' rates. Yeah. It's essentially like that. But for the boat, you can imagine it's much more complicated because unlike us in the car, we only have one insurance company essentially for our car yeah. and for us and for a huge boat like Maersk that's tracking many, many different goods. I don't know how many insurance companies they have at any one time, but yeah. it's many. And so you have to, you have to have this, uh, you're spanning across mel- multiple sort of trust boundaries at that point where that's where blockchain becomes sort of, uh, this magical tool, if you will, that can span those, those trust boundaries. Yeah. That's super interesting. Th- that really helps in my mind that, that you keep saying trust boundaries. And, uh, to me like that, that's something I honestly had never thought about before. I always thought of, you know, hey, these parties don't necessarily trust each other, but I like that concept of trust boundaries for understanding when when blockchain makes sense. Yeah, because you're definitely taking sort of a, um, uh, I don't want to call it a hit, but you're basically you're 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 employing a technology to to deal with those trust boundaries. Yeah, and exactly, um, you know, if you don't have a need to to cross those trust boundaries, or you don't have a need to sort of share that data across those trust boundaries, then blockchain may not be the right technology. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people would say, like, let's say for the example for the example I said for the standby letter credit is, why don't you just digitize the whole thing and not use a a blockchain? And the truth is, you could get a ton of efficiency out of sort of making those process more modern, uh, but you'll hit a wall. And the wall is that every single participant in the system will have their own data, right? So everyone will have their own database and their own data scheme. And then you run into the reconciliation issue. Who is Who has the right answers mm-hmm. when something is wrong? Um, how do you reconcile those issues? And so blockchain, the other way to think about this is blockchain is this backbone layer for across all of the different participants where everybody on that backbone has the same exact data. If that so, makes sense. Yeah. So like digging down into like the more technical perspective, you know, you know, what is blockchain from more of like a development technical person point of view? Yeah. So the easiest way to think about that again is it's a special type of database that you're basically pushing transactions to that has a special way of sort of confirming uh, those transactions. And the easiest way to think about how blockchain all works, and the best way for me to describe it is, it's essentially, think of it as like a workflow, right? You have different people participating in a workflow, and in that workflow, it's like a state di- state machine, right? So you have things in the workflow start at certain states. You have certain people that can interact with that at certain states. They can take certain actions that lead them to another state. Once you define that whole workflow as a state machine, that essentially is how you interact with the blockchain. So you have people that initiate or create those workflows. You have people that can interact and adjust the states for those workflows. And any changes being made are pushed and stored on the blockchain. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications, supports all major programming languages and platforms, and integrates with your current development workflow tools too. There's a free 14-day trial, and it takes minutes to implement, so start resolving issues in your application and check it out today at raygun.com. 
So what does Azure actually provide then? Like I get the overall part, but like, is there like an API? Like, how do I, I think, I think part of what Carl's asking is like, how do I get started as a developer? Like what, what, what code do I start writing and what does Azure give me? That's a good question. So we're working on six different things related to blockchain and I'll go through those six things for you guys. The first thing is when you look at blockchain out there, I lost count, but there's at least a hundred different implementations of blockchain out there today. It seems like almost every other week, a new ICO comes out. ICO is another term, by the way. It's the initial coin offering. I don't know if you guys have heard that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people will talk about that from a cryptocurrency perspective. But uh, there's almost seems like a new blockchain comes out almost every other week. So for us and Microsoft, we said, you know what? Instead of creating our own blockchain stack from scratch, we're going to embrace an open cloud perspective, which just means we're going to let people use whatever blockchain that they care about and we'll, and we'll support it and we'll build technology on top of that. Um, and so the first stream of work we have is essentially allowing people to deploy whatever network they want in whatever way they want. So the most common ones out there, by the way, from a developer perspective are Ethereum, Hyperledger Fabric, Corda, if you're in the financial world, and then Quorum are the four major blockchains that people develop. And if you're in Asia, there's a couple other ones out there too, but the four that I mentioned are the most common ones around the world. world. And so if you go to um, Azure today, you could go through our marketplace, our portal, and within five minutes, you're able to deploy any of those networks within a few minutes, which is amazing. When I first started this team, on this team, it took us almost a month of developer time to figure out how to actually stand up a, a, a <laughs> private Ethereum network in a, in a, in a proper way. Wow. It took a long time. Yeah. So now you're yeah. able to do that incredibly fast. Uh, and we have it so that it supports both, you know, Azure cloud as well as Azure stack. So you can have a hybrid environment for your network and the network can be done in whatever topology you want, where the topology could be a single computer that represents your network, which is really good for dev test. You can have it deployed in a simulated sort of network that's within your own, within your own subscription, which is good for sort of rich POCs or pilots, or a production-grade environment where you can have your network connected to company A and company B's network all together in a private sort of network. Mm-hmm. So that's the first stream. The second stream is when you look at the blockchains out there today, each one of those blockchains, no matter what they are, have a, have a set of pros and cons. And I would say each one of them are not kind of are not ready for production grade at all levels. So there are three major limitations on blockchain today. So the first is throughput. When you look at like Bitcoin or Ethereum, which is a very is like the most popular uh, blockchain uh, used out there today from a transactions perspective. When you look at the transaction speeds for those blockchains, you're talking about 10 to 15 transactions per second, if you're lucky. Um, and I'm not saying every scenario requires high throughput, but there's quite a few scenarios that are going to require a throughput that's approaching that you'd expect more like from a Visa kind of uh, right. network, right. which is like thousands or tens of thousands of transactions per second. I think even more than that. I, th- I saw some numbers recently. It was it was absurd how many transactions they process, though. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy number. Yeah. And blockchain is definitely not there yet mm-hmm. um and that's you know part of the the problem is the consensus algorithm they use the proof of work is kind of slow yeah um so any case we developed this thing called coco framework stands for confidential consortium think of it as like a wrapper that can wrap around these blockchains that deals with three major limitations so the first limitation it deals with is uh throughput and performance so we took plain old vanilla Ethereum, which is about 10, 15 transactions per second. We wrapped it with Coco. In our prototype, we got it up to 1,600 transactions per second. So the goal is to get the transaction speed to be closer, if not uh, as close as possible to what you expect from database mm. perspective. Okay. The second piece that Coco does is around confidentiality. So let's say we're all, we're all in a supply chain uh, blockchain. And let's say you guys are two different suppliers. I want you to, I want to create bids, or you guys want to create bids for some goods. I don't want you guys to see what you're bidding and what and, and what each, what each other are bidding, right? I want to keep those kind of confidential, but I want those transactions to be pushed onto the blockchain. 
Um, so some blockchains out there provide confidentiality out of the box, and some of them don't. Um, what Coco does is it provides confidentiality for all blockchains that have the wrapper around it. And the third thing that Coco does is around governance. Governance meaning one of the things that people have to really think about when you develop blockchain is dealing with the governance of the network itself. How do you agree on who should be added to a network, who should be removed from a network, uh, who should, how should you agree on what code should be changed or updated, right? Um, and I sh so that's sort of the third model of Coco. And that, so Coco deals with those three limitations to get the, I would say, the landscape of blockchains out there to be much more enterprise grade. So that's the second stream. And when you look at the first two streams there, that's all about IaaS. So that's all about infrastructure as a service. That means you as the customer who deploy blockchain get to control all of the plumbing involved with the blockchain network, which means if you need to you need to update your operating systems, you got to do it. If you need to update the or upgrade the, um, the version of blockchain, you've got to do it. So the third piece of work we're doing there is creating a fully managed service with respect to blockchain. So we go, we take it from an IaaS to a PaaS. So some customers, they want to deal with the plumbing. Some customers want nothing to do with the plumbing. And in those cases, they just want a fully managed service where they want to use the blockchain, but they want Microsoft to, to sort of maintain and manage the infrastructure itself. So that's the third stream. And when you look at the, when you look at those three streams and you look at sort of blockchain out, out there, you sort of what I call, you get stuck on this kind of, like the analogy I like to use is like, it feels like you get stuck on this like deserted island. Um, if you ever developed on top of blockchain, it feels like somebody throws you onto this this disconnected island where where you are stuck on your own. And um, when you're trying to develop these sort of end-to-end -end applications, as we know from enterprise perspective, you need to connect that island to other things that you care about. Whether it's your identity system or your your analytic system or whatever it may be. Right now, any of those kind of connection points is very difficult. So that leads to the uh, the next set of work we're doing, which is around connecting or making it possible to connect that island and building the bridges to that island with a bunch of different middleware services and SaaS offerings. So one of the things that we're doing is um, we've codenamed it Enterprise Smart Contract Contracts or Cripplets. Um, and this deals with a lot of the limitations of blockchain and how they deal with smart contracts. So uh, let me let me give you let me sort of take a step back and explain what I mean there. Mm -hmm. So when you look at blockchain when it first came out with Bitcoin, it's only it was only about value exchange. I'm going to transfer my value from me to you. There's no real brains behind it. Ethereum came out next um, as a big blockchain uh, provider out there, and they came up with the concept of smart contracts. Smart contracts essentially is just adding business logic to perform your transactions. So now you can say, I'm not going to give you money until it's sunny for five days and it's over 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Otherwise, you're going to give me money. So I'm allowed to have this kind of business logic that dictates my, my transactions. And so smart contracts is the big thing right now that a lot of people out there are, are really excited about the technology. It can accomplish a lot of different things, but... When you start using it, you hit a bunch of limitations with respect to the technology. So, for example, the first thing is, depending on what blockchain stack you're using, you're kind of limited to the language dictated by that, that blockchain. So, for example, Ethereum has this thing called Solidity, which is kind of JavaScript-esque kind of uh, language, but it's a very limited language. So doing something as simple as like a string comparison is very difficult to go do. The second piece that that sort of blockchain smart contracts kind of limit you with is if you're trying to connect or retrieve external information to the blockchain, you cannot do that without breaking the integrity of the blockchain. So let's say, for example, I wanted to create a blockchain solution that is retrieving the latest interest rates and using those interest rates to calculate loan payments that get pushed to my transactions as uh, on the blockchain. I can't do that in smart contract world without breaking the integrity of the smart contract. The other limitation of smart contracts is it limits the amount of computation you can have and drive on the blockchain itself. So let's say, for example, you wanted to do something very complex. You just cannot do that in smart contract world. So you cannot scale your language. So there's a several different limitations out there. And so what we've developed is this, this thing called cripplets. 
that's a secure off-chain execution environment where you can run whatever arbitrary code you want, whether it's Java, .NET, doesn't matter. Have the results be pushed back into the blockchain and still maintain the integrity of the blockchain. So you can scale it and you can do whatever you want with it. Um, and we feel like that will really increase the power of what you can do in a blockchain and uh, potentially do a lot more robust things with a blockchain. Wow. Yeah, we're, so we're doing a lot. <laughs> yeah. And that's, so that, that there's a few, there's a, there's, there's two more pieces. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So the, the fifth piece of work here is something we're, we're naming app builder. So it's a blockchain app. Uh, the name of it is the Microsoft Azure uh, blockchain app builder. And basically what we found is when we looked at customers playing around with blockchain, it was a huge pain to get customers from sort of from zero to something to show. Even a very simple POC. We've seen customers uh, pay up to $300,000, $400,000 just to develop a throwaway piece of POC uh, on top of the blockchain, which is with some simple UI on top of a blockchain development. And what we noticed is when we talked to these customers about what they've built, patterns started emerging where customers kept building the same kind of scaffolding work again and again to build up their end-to-end -end blockchain application. And the other thing we noticed is there was this need to sort of connect that island that I was talking about to a bunch of other services. So what we've done is we've, uh, we've developed this tool uh, that's going to be available on the Azure Marketplace. Right now it's in private preview where customers can can uh, sort of deploy this this app builder and this thing deploys about 80 to 90 different resources in Azure if you can if you know if you if, if you can imagine that it, it wow. puts a bunch of different pieces together um, and what it does is it automatically will build out a couple of different things so the first thing it does is it builds out a web interface a web application that does two different things so it gives you an administrator experience so you can manage all the blockchain applications on your network and so that means you can you can deploy new applications, you can take them down, you can assign different users, different roles for the different applications. So it's it's part of your governance model. The second piece that the application does is it provides a simulation environment for you to test, validate, and run your blockchain applications end-to-end. -end. So it automatically builds up the entire UI for you. Um, and all it does is it takes in two different inputs. It takes in your business logic, whether it's cryptlets or your smart contracts, and some meta information, and it will auto-generate everything for you. So it's almost like we've reduced the barrier of entry for developing end-to-end -end blockchain applications from hardcore developers to uh, simple development. And we have even tools, I think, that can even get it closer to an information worker can actually go develop these things if you can imagine that, because it's, it's, at the end of the day, you're just designing a workflow. Uh, the next thing this thing does is it automatically leverages Azure Active Directory as your identity system. So now instead of remembering these crazy blockchain addresses that are, you know, 0x, 5, and there's a huge amount of digits, you just have to know your, your current identity. So it's like me at Microsoft. I can sign into my system and I can use my identity and I can interact with people as people instead of weird addresses. It automatically uh, synchronizes your data from your blockchain to your to an off-chain storage, which allows you to, to run visualization, machine learning, and other kinds of tools uh, without being blockchain experts. Um, it generates a REST API for you and a queue messaging API through Service Bus. So you can interact with the system and build production-grade blockchain uh, applications on top of the system. So essentially, it just puts a bunch of different pieces together for yeah. you. And the goal is to reduce development time from blockchain from months to just days or weeks, depending on how good you yeah. are with some of the key aspects of it. Mm -hmm. So that's the fifth stream. And then the sixth stream is a sister team of ours, the identity team, is working on a decentralized identity uh, that's anchored on the blockchain. So when you think about identity management systems today, whether they're MSA, AD, Facebook, or Google, some entity owns that mm -hmm. identity. Uh, the concept of using uh, decentralized identity is you give the power of the identity to the user, and they control their full identity end-to-end. And it's anchored on the blockchain to enable that kind of scenario. Yeah, that's like, uh, was it OpenID or... 
There used to be, uh, I shouldn't say used to be, I think it still exists, but there was an authentication system like that that didn't, uh, that didn't really take off. Uh, but it sounds like this might be even, even a little bit better than that being. Yeah. This is taking advantage of sort of the, the new technology to enable yeah. that kind of scenario. Very cool. So those are this, those are the six streams of work we're doing in Microsoft to enable blockchain. I, I had no idea that that much stuff was going on. <laughs> That's really cool. I mean, it's, and it's just about making developers lives easier, which is, which is awesome. Yeah, the goal is, I mean, if you have any customers on this call that want to participate in our private preview, we'll definitely provide the links for you guys to, to get them onboarded on that stuff. But yeah, the goal is to get anybody who's interested in blockchain to get up and running on blockchain very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I didn't know that we already had some stuff already in Azure. I mean, I already started deploying my own, uh, I found Ethereum on there, like you said, and it's just like onboarding any other new product. It's pretty quick and you can get that up and going pretty fast. So that's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome that you found it within a few seconds of us talking. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Carl. So, you know, what what is the future or your near future of blockchain look like? You know, what can we see that's just over the horizon? Yeah. I think if you sort of look at the landscape of where customers are at right now, um, one thing I like to describe is sort of this blockchain customer journey, where if you try to map all the different customers out there and where they're at, in their journey, whether they're starting off as I know nothing about blockchain to production, most customers are still in the I'm learning phase. And as we progress month to month, and even you know now that I've been on this team for over a year and a half, more and more customers are pushing towards sort of this uh, pilot phase and getting closer and closer to production. So I would think over the next you know uh, year. You, you're going to start seeing more and more customers getting closer to to that production state, um, and so, you know, even to this date, it's hard to predict where blockchain will be. If somebody has asked me like, "Where is blockchain going to be in five years from now?" I have no idea. Um, <laughs> it's almost like somebody saying, "Where was the internet going to be?" You know, when it was first started, right. no one really had any idea. And I know when we and Microsoft tried to do a, mon- a bunch of different things and. Clearly, you know, companies like Google and Facebook came out of that. Um, and so there's there's a lot of different niches out there that I think are going to pop out from a blockchain perspective as well. So yeah. time will time will tell. Well, and probably much like, you know, Facebook and Google, right? Like there were there were countless companies that did the same thing that failed, right? <laughs> so, I mean, the right. same thing is going to happen, I'm sure, with blockchain is, the, you know, these companies will come out of nowhere and, and uh, you know, everybody's trying something different and we'll have to kind of see what sticks. But I think, I think the Microsoft approach is, is very sound, you know, we're, you know, we're the productivity company that's, that's helping everybody just build their solutions quicker, um, which is kind of a win-win situation. So that's great. Um, yeah. I think, I think the big change between, and I've been in Microsoft for 13 years now. So the big change I would say from now compared to what was in the past is, you know, we're not building our own blockchain stack from scratch. Um, you know, we're not trying to compete mm-hmm. with the community out there, but rather we're trying to stand up a bunch of services and, and functionality that will prop up the community to to sort of leverage best in hand of what we have in Azure. Cool, cool. Um, I know we went over a whole bunch of stuff. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention about blockchain while we have you? Yeah, I think the the best thing uh, that since you have so you have a um, you know an interesting sort of uh, uh, listening mm-hmm. community, I would say you know there's a bunch of different opportunities to sort of connect to several different community channels that we have. Uh, whether it's through Microsoft Tech Community as the public channel or f- uh, through Azure Advisors, if you have an NDA with us. Um, there's opportunities to get onto our private preview, and we'd love to have more and more customers try out our stuff and give us feedback. Um, and we're very, very customer-focused on our group, so we're trying to interact with a bunch of customers to learn, validate, and sort of move forward with the stuff. I mean, the, the best way I like to describe, because people always ask, like, how does it feel to be on blockchain versus something else? Um the best analogy I like to give is it's like running a race where you're kind of leading the pack, but no one told you where to go. <laughs> so you're always like looking around and you're like, oh my God, am I going the right way? And so, yeah, yeah. you know, you, in all, the, the best way to sort of solve that issue is be very, very customer driven and customer focused. And so um, we'd love to connect with customers out there. So if you have, if you want to have uh, any kind of discussions, you know, please feel free out to reach out to us through those community channels, or you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. I'm happy to have conversations there too. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, Carl, what are you for the dev tip of the week? 
I know a lot of people like using uh, the command line interface for Azure. And uh, a lot of people like using the cloud. And you can even use the command line interface in the Azure portal. You can bring up that little icon in the upper right and it'll open up that CLI there for you. But if you just want to skip all that ceremony, you can go to shell.azure.com. And it's just the website is one huge uh, CLI that's auto-logged in for you and has all of the different um, SDKs that you might need. So if you're in IoT, it's got that one. If you're into AAD, all that stuff's loaded up. And you can just go in there, pre-logged in, and go. Very cool. Yeah, that, that's got to be a lot quicker than going into the portal, I assume. Yeah, and, and like... You know, last week I was doing uh, a hack fest uh, for work and it, it popped up to me like some of the quickest ways to like generate some resources is through the CLI. Mm-hmm. But like if you're doing it on your machine and maybe it's a new technology, then you got to like n- figure out, go to the documentation, how to just like install all the right tools. This has it all there. Yeah. So sometimes you forget that like when you're working with Azure, it's sometimes quicker just to do the CLI stuff instead of either messing around with the portal and going back and forth on the blades or installing the tooling yourself. That middle ground is there. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Cause you could just type AZ create or whatever. So um, exactly. Very cool. Very cool. So Z, we have a game that we play on the show. I need you to pick a number between one and four, but maybe just don't pick three. Cause I'm almost out of threes and let me know what number you pick. Okay. Do you want me to tell you the number? Yep. Yep, four. Four. Okay, let me find the first available four here. Man, a lot of people pick four, too. Oh, here we go. Okay, would you rather live your life without any taste buds or never have any feelings in your fingers? <laughs> uh, I would go with the... Uh, I would... I would rather have taste buds, actually. Yeah, I'd that's, taste. I would. I would think that too. I mean, the only thing that makes this one tricky for us is that we're developers. So if you don't have feeling in your fingers, I think that makes it more challenging, but not impossible. Yeah, but at the same time, uh, I have I have uh, interesting issues because of a wrist injury that I had, where I'll occasionally lose feeling in my fingers. Uh, that's also very disconcerting as well. Uh, sometimes when you don't have that feeling, you overgrip things and you uh, break a lot of things, which can lead to more injuries to yourself. So well, I guess, I guess a it depends one. on how. Yeah, I guess it also depends on uh, on what kind of level of, of of feeling do you have or not have on your fingers, right? It's like a fingertips, well, entire hand, and like it's a, so. Well, you have to take it literally. It says never have any feeling in your fingers. So I think Your you just, fingers. yeah, so you wouldn't be able to Entire fingers. Yeah. So I wonder, yeah. I wonder if you could still, can you still type? I mean, cause you can still so, so, move your muscle, right? Muscles. Yeah. So, so remember, uh, you know, one of the things that every human does in same way, shape or form is eat. And if you're going to cook for yourself, handling a knife, I can tell you from this, like you'll over grip a knife. And when you do that, that actually makes it dangerous. You can slip more easy. I don't know. Mm. I don't That's know. A safety I, issue. I feel like half of life I've, though, I've is, lived the, is your I, taste buds. <laughs> and the other half is my fingers, so it's really tough. <laughs> yeah, I mean it depends. I mean if you're talking about it can't feel your entire hand. No, because if, if you're talking about the knife though, because you can still have, yeah. you can still feel on your hands. So you're not gonna yeah. overgrip too so you much. You could on feel that. your palm, yeah. Right. So, so you still have be... some feeling there. And I can imagine as you're like let's say you do your typing, let's say for example. Okay, you won't feel your fingertips, but you can still feel the vibration coming back to your hand. But if you're saying the hand you can't feel, then that's a totally different story. And then, yeah. then that's awkward, right? You're yeah, like, yeah. I think we're just a you bunch of nerds to... like overthinking this, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the point of the game. <laughs> no, I know. It's a game for like kids. Um, I did see a book of these though, and I'm going to, I'm going to pick it up soon because we're almost out of cards. So, okay, Carl, why don't you pick a number? I'll take number two. Number two. Would you rather be a lot stronger than you are now or run a lot faster than you do now? I would say run a lot faster because I'm already, you know, a pretty big guy. I don't need all that extra strength, but I'm a pretty big guy that probably should lose some weight. So running faster would help with that. Yeah. I'll buy that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that one as well. Yeah. I think, I think that's the right, I think there's a right answer there. The finger one, I'm not so sure if there's a right answer, but on that one, there is. Okay, Z, uh, looks like Carl has been collecting uh, links throughout the show. He's got a long list of them here. But where where can people find you? 
Yeah, so the easiest way to find me particularly would be feel free to connect with me directly on LinkedIn. Um, And then so I could get you guys the link to that one. Uh, If you guys want to talk to a community with respect to blockchain and what we're doing, we have the Microsoft Tech Community, which is a good public area. If you want to connect more privately and be uh, participating in some of our NDA communities, there is a Yammer group uh, called Azure Advisors that you can join, which is fantastic. We try to do sort of these monthly uh, webcasts out there. Um, And if you guys want to be involved in a private preview with respect to blockchain and what we're doing, um, you can contact me in any of those channels and I'll get you access and we will add you to a Microsoft Teams channel. Okay, very cool. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at Twitter at twitter.com slash techie. So Z, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about blockchain. It's very cool technology. Yeah, thanks guys. Appreciate the time.